This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, bringing you vital information to boost your health, your finances, and your rights. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Kopsick for Libby's Nimer. How the title of an early Beatles song Do you want to know ironically had a connection to the Fab Four's recently released final tune. And the part Erica Buckman's late daughter played on it without ever knowing. I get just goosebumps all over me. It really speaks to me. I think it's a beautiful song. Caroline must have been absolutely ecstatic about it, which she have known. And in a sense, I really believe that she does know. Also, while rates of those who took their lives during the pandemic did not rise, crisis lines did see an increase in calls. There's now an around-the-clock three-digit suicide prevention hotline, 988. If you think that you need the service, we're here for you. We know that 4,500 people die each year by suicide, and of that number, many more people think about suicide. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A 55-year-old Toronto woman has applied for medical assistance in dying due to symptoms of long COVID. Tracy Thompson has suffered symptoms of the virus since it first emerged back in March of 2020. She says while she's still happy to be alive, her quality of life is non-existent and profoundly isolating along with the financial pressures. The former chef, unable to work due to extreme exhaustion, constant fatigue and memory loss that's left her bedridden 22 hours a day. She hasn't shared the status of her made application. At least 65 million worldwide suffer from long COVID, which has no cure. A game-changing drug to prevent hot flashes in menopausal women has just been approved over in the UK. This prescription-only drug will be available next month, potentially benefiting hundreds of thousands of women. The drug could prove to be an alternative to hormone replacement therapy, which relieves menopause symptoms by replacing estrogen and progesterone. The UK's approval comes after the drug was approved for use in the U.S. It's not clear when it'll be available in this country. Hot flashes affect about 70% of women going through menopause, impacting quality of life, sleep, and productivity. Candy vitamin gummies are the worst way of getting your nutrients. New research says the supplements that have exploded in popularity have fewer vitamins and minerals than hard capsules and lose potency over time. Instead of the health-boosting ingredients being compressed into a hard pill, they're blended with water, then mixed with gelatin, cornstarch, and sugar. As a result, our body absorbs less of the active ingredients. The global market was valued at $7 billion last year and estimated to nearly double by the year 2031. 
The EU's proposed that drivers 65 plus take refresher courses and medical checks before renewing their driver's license. However, Ireland's transport minister says it's unlikely his country will change the rules since it's not mandatory for countries to adopt the EU proposal. Currently, those 75 or older must renew their license annually or every three years subject to being certified as fit to drive by a doctor. This comes as Ontario is considering introducing an enhanced road test for drivers over 80. I'm Bob Comsick, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Recalling how one time as a struggling 13-year-old, she sat online for more than two hours waiting for support that never came, Maddie Muggridge of London, now 19, began advocating for an easy-to-remember suicide prevention connection, which is now available across the country. Simply call or text 988. The hotline's chief medical officer, Dr. Allison Crawford, a psychiatrist at Toronto Centre for Addiction and Mental Health. So 988 Suicide Crisis Helpline launched on November the 30th. So it's live across Canada now. And it is a um, suicide crisis helpline, which is in in the name, um, an easy three-digit access to support for people who are thinking about suicide or for people who are worried about someone else. Why is it needed? The reason that we especially need it right now, I think it's very timely. We know um, through the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, we definitely saw increased um, rates of mental illness, and uh, that was going on long before the pandemic. It's really been going on over the last decade, so climbing need uh, amongst our, our community, and we need a way to respond to that. How many Canadians are there that feel isolated, that they have to talk to someone about their feelings and what they're considering possibly as their next and final move. The We know that 4,500 people die each year uh, by suicide. And of that number, many more people think about suicide or attempt suicide. And for every loss, uh, every loss is a tragedy because we know that suicide is preventable and we know that that impacts many people um, in families and in our communities. So I think there's you know, anything that we can do to prevent it. And that's really what 988 uh, is here for. And really anyone who, who is worried should call. I'm not trying to make this simple or dismiss it as being just one call. That's all it's going to take. But it could very well, in many cases, be that one call that sets people back on the rails to living their life the way they should. It certainly, uh, we know that it saves lives. Uh, the evidence shows that, you know, even one conversation can save a life. It's, it's not the only thing that we need in our mental health system, but we do know that it works. And so it's, it's one very important component of, uh, of our mental health system. When you mention a service like this, someone listening might think of a typical case. Can you outline or paint us a picture of who might be a typical person to reach out and call 988 or there's no such thing as a typical one because it is so, so wide in terms of defining that individual? Um, Well, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because I think that is the answer there's, and it's not just that there's no typical one. It's that 
um, every person's experience is unique. And that is part of what forms the connection on the 98 service between the responder and the person who calls or texts is that they will take the time to understand that person's unique needs and story and experience. And at the same time, they will be looking for common themes or common concerns, but also common strengths and ways of coping. So they they go back and forth between listening to the uniqueness, uh, but also using techniques that they, they know work uh, to help people ensure their own coping, their own safety. When you hear about a service like this, is it common to think that those who use it the most are young? Oh, I, another great question. No. And so that's Sometimes when we think a service is not for us, we're, we're um, less likely to reach out. And I, that's one thing I want people to know. We hear from young people. We hear from older people. We hear from people across different professions, across different backgrounds. So no one, everyone should know that this service is for them if they need it. And, and that actually you also don't have to wait until it's a real crisis. You, if, if it's very common to think about suicide, more common than we realize. And if you're having those thoughts, um, we, we are here for you, whoever you are. Um, I can also add, because I know um, this might be of interest to your audience, when we say that mental health needs have increased, it, they've increased across all age groups, but particularly the young and older people. Why do you think that is? I don't think there's just one explanation. I think there are a lot of things that have happened, but certainly when we look at suicide, um, to, just to bring us back to that, we know that that's usually a combination of people feeling like they're a burden on other people, or they question their own worth or value, or they feel, um, and, or they feel that they don't belong. So they feel disconnected. And then when you add in mental health distress, depression, anxiety, psychosis, substance use, um, all of that um, is that is too much for people to bear alone. So I think that isolation, disconnection, um, and not feeling that sense of belonging explain a lot of the distress. And one doesn't necessarily have to be at that point in order to take advantage. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you expect to also hear from some people who are maybe just beginning to acknowledge something's off, maybe not to the point that they want to end it, but something's off and they're reaching out before it gets to that point, the, the edge of the, of the cliff, as it were. Yeah, ab- absolutely. People shouldn't feel the need to wait. And, and that is another thing that we hear. I, I wasn't sure if I was like severe enough or my situation was bad enough where I should call. Absolutely. People should. You know, there's no wrong door with 988. If you call or text and um, and we'll connect with you, whatever you need in that moment. Dr. Allison Crawford, Chief Medical Officer of Canada's new three-digit suicide crisis hotline, 988. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is a Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up... A bittersweet secret that a musician and her mother never knew before her daughter passed away. Tears came into my eyes. I said, how can this happen? I thought, well, this is what a surprise 
I knew that she had recorded with Paul McCartney. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, Canada's largest and most influential association fighting for the interests of Canadians as we age. Find out more at carp.ca. It began as a cryptic message sent to over a dozen musicians in April 2022. Could they be at L.A.'s Capitol Studios in three days to be part of, they were told, a Paul McCartney project? Among the musicians who added classical strings to the song titled Give and Take was Caroline Buckman, a violist from Virginia. They wound up chatting with Sir Paul about his past arrangements. Caroline returned home with a copy of the sheet music signed by McCartney, which she had framed. First time she'd asked a colleague for their autograph. In March of this year, Caroline passed away at 48, six years after being diagnosed with breast cancer. Fast forward to November, just days before the song's release, her 81-year-old mother, Erica Buckman, learned only then that the song was not called Give and Take, as all were led to believe, but rather Now and Then. How did you learn and when about this secret? I learned about the secret on Friday before it, the week before it came out. And it was very interesting because on that Friday morning, I felt kind of sad and and I said, hmm, let me go upstairs. I'm going to put a scarf around my neck. Maybe that will give me some comfort. So I go upstairs and I put a scarf around my neck. It was nice and cozy. And the next thing that happened was the telephone rings. And there is Alexander Panetta on the phone asking me if I was Erica Buckman or if I was Simone Buckman. Simone is my daughter who is still on my phone here. I said, I'm Erica Buckman. And he very gingerly approached me about Caroline if I knew that she was on the Beatles record. And I was absolutely stunned. Uh, I mean, tears came into my eyes. It just, at that particular moment that he would call me, it's ironic. That's all I could think of. I said, how can this happen? At the same time, you know, I sort of thought, well, this is what a surprise. I knew that she had recorded with Paul McCartney in the spring of 22. What do you think of? What's your reaction when you hear it? I get just goosebumps all over me. It really speaks to me. I think it's a beautiful song. And I mean, Caroline must have been absolutely ecstatic about it, would she have known? And in a sense, I really believe that she does know. I mean, the whole way this thing materialized, I mean, none of the musicians knew what was going to happen because when they first originally took that piece, it was give and take. And it was all hush-hush, and nobody knew what was going to happen to it. And I recall that one of her best friends, Charlie Bichard, who was older on that gig too, he always looked it up to see what has happened to the song. And nothing until this actually came out. 
What did she share with you when she came back from that session, which she didn't know what it was all about, that it was supposedly only a Paul McCartney project, not a Beatles project? How did she feel coming back? What did she tell you? How excited she must have been? Oh, she was extremely excited. She called me and she says, Mom, guess what? I said, what? She said, I recorded with Paul McCartney. I said, what? The Beatles? <laughs> and she said, yes. I said, oh, my God. I said, we used to dance to that. And even when they were children, you know, we used to dance to the twist, <laughs> twist and shout. <laughs> it's been quite something. So she really was very, very excited about it. And she said, you know, I even asked him for an autograph. <clears throat> she said, I usually never do that. But she said, I couldn't help myself. She said, I had to have an autograph from him. And she was extremely excited about it. And you were talking about how you used to, as a young person, uh, dance to twist and shout. But the interesting thing, the coincidence, where you were, in what country you were when the Beatles went to that country. Share that with us. I originally come from East Germany. I left it in 1960, just one year before they closed Berlin. And I lived in Frankfurt for two years, and I think at that time the Beatles actually in the 60s were in Hamburg, if I recall correctly. We all would go crazy about them. And then I moved to England. And of course, they had continued. So I lived through this whole era of the Beatles. And, I mean, we all, you know, even when we came to the States, when we had parties here, we still would twist. That was something that was in our blood. Can you give us an idea? It's not as if somehow Caroline just luckily happened to play on this. I mean, she had quite the musical background and uh, some of the other work that, I guess, career credits of hers, if you can touch on some of her career credits, just to give others an idea, just the talent Caroline uh, possessed. I think she was very versatile in her repertoire. She played everything from classical to rock to jazz, you name it. She played Star Wars, Indiana Jones, yeah, she did quite a few with John Williams. She loved John Williams, who wrote the music for some of these big movies. She also, Breaking Bad, You Better Call Soul. Uh, she was in many of those series, TV series as well. Erica Buckman, I want to thank you for sharing Caroline, your late daughter, with us and some wonderful memories that will always be with you, especially when you hear this. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's sad, but yet a beautiful contribution into her epic path. And that I'm really proud that we have that. Thank you so much. Thank you. 81-year-old Erica Buckman whose late daughter Caroline passed away before learning that she had played on the Beatles' final song, Now and Then. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Kopsick for Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi 
Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. With technical production by Ian Robertson. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.